I'm Nick Park from Evangelical Alliance Ireland, and this is episode number three of the XXXY Files. Foundations. The Bible, Sin, Freedom, Truth and Love. Evangelical Christians see the Bible as being our primary source of truth, particularly in regards to Christian doctrine and morality. This means that our positions on sexuality and gender need to be rooted in Scripture. We are also Christocentric. The revelation of Jesus is the central theme of Scripture, and the Old Testament law shows how God progressively revealed himself to his people over the centuries and how he prepared the way for the coming of Christ. Some of what we read in the Old Testament is types, shadows, and ceremonies that were fulfilled in Christ. But we also find profound moral teachings in the Old Testament about what pleases and displeases God. When the Old Testament speaks about homosexuality, it is always in the most negative of terms. There is no hint or suggestion that this is some ceremonial attitude that will pass away with the arrival of the New Covenant. And this negative attitude towards homosexuality continues in the New Testament. Now, when we turn to the New Testament, we need to be careful about trying to read the Bible to say what we want it to say. Eisegesis is where we try to force our preferred meanings into the biblical text. Exegesis is where we try to understand how the authors and the original hearers understood the text. It is about following the evidence, even when doing so confronts us with our sin and demands change of us. Eisegesis is about trying to use the Bible to make ourselves feel comfortable. Exegesis is about allowing the Bible to challenge us. If we feel uncomfortable with something that is clearly taught in the Bible, then the answer is not to try and make the Bible say something it doesn't. The answer is that we need to change to get in line with Scripture. Originally, I'd planned to go into some of the biblical teaching in more depth, and when we publish the final version of the XXXY Files as a book, then we may well include that material. But I don't want to make this message too long or bore people by going into the meanings of Greek words, etc. Suffice to say that I've read numerous attempts to reinterpret the Bible in a way that normalizes or condones homosexual behavior. The problem is that you can only reach those conclusions if you set out with a determination to make the Bible say what you want it to say. If we try to read our own desired meaning into Scripture, then we can make it say anything. But if we genuinely allow Scripture to speak to us, then the Bible's view on homosexuality is clear. The question is one of authority. Do we want to pretend to possess authority so as to change the meaning of Scripture? Or are we willing to allow Scripture to have authority over us? The more I have studied this subject over the years, the more I have become convinced that a failure to submit to the authority of Scripture is to abandon any pretense of being an evangelical Christian. When we consider the, use, the issue of gender, we don't find any Bible verses that directly address transitioning from male to female or vice versa. After all, we don't expect writers 2,000 years ago to have predicted every 21st century issue but there are a couple of basic principles that we do find in Scripture. The Bible consistently speaks in terms of gender being binary. God created mankind as male and female, Genesis 1.27. This predates man's fall into sin. It is not an accommodation to human needs or desires. 
It is not something that's designed because of the hardness of man's heart. It is God's original plan for humanity. The ways that the Bible speaks about male and female are rooted in God's identity for us, not how we feel. Male and female are not subjective notions. They are objective realities. Again, this is an issue of authority. As Christians, our gender identity is not based on how we feel. It's based on God's plans and purposes for our lives. We are born in a broken and sinful world, and we struggle to submit to God's authority. Indeed, in our own strength, we cannot submit to God's plans and purposes in creation. That is why we need to come to Christ and become a new creation, as in 2 Corinthians 5.17. We could go into much more detail, but we have limited time and space in this series of messages. But this is why I, like the vast majority of evangelical Christians, believe that homosexual acts or attempting to change our genders constitutes sin. There, I just did it, didn't I? I mentioned the S word. When you describe a behaviour as sin, you run the risk of being accused of judging people, or even that you're hating them. People get awfully offended if you dare to say that anything they are doing is a sin. Yet when you think about it, believing that certain things are sinful is an integral part of virtually all systems of religious beliefs. We hold that certain beliefs about God are true and other beliefs are not true. We consider some things to be pleasing to God and we consider other things to be displeasing to God, in other words, to be sinful. Other people have the right to disagree with us about what is sinful or not and we have the right to disagree with what other people believe. There's absolutely no need to get offended about it and we can still love people who disagree with our views of what is sinful or not. A Jew might consider it a sin to eat pork. I love eating pork. So the Jewish guy thinks I'm sinning by eating a bacon sandwich. But I have no business getting all offended by that. And he has no business in trying to interfere with me eating my bacon sandwich. He's not committing a hate crime by thinking I'm sinning. I disagree with his definition of sin and that's no problem unless I want to become a Jew, which I don't. And if I do want to become a Jew, then I stop eating bacon, because becoming a Jew involves buying into their concept of what is or is not sin. As Christians, we can see something as being a sin without hating those people who practice it. I think idolatry is a sin. Biblically, worshipping idols is the sin that is condemned far more than any other. But I don't hate Hindus, whose entire religion seems to be full of idols, nor, by the way, do I think that the law of the land should stop Hindus from committing idolatry, because I don't believe that the purpose of a nation's laws should be to impose my notions of what is sinful on anyone else. The purpose of the law is to treat everyone equally and protect people from being harmed by others. Now, often things that are forbidden by the law are things that we also consider to be sinful by our religious convictions. So, for example, the Bible teaches me that stealing is wrong. I, I also knew that stealing was wrong before I became a Christian. I did steal things in those days, but I still knew it was wrong. And almost all people who aren't Christians will agree with us that stealing is wrong. Because the law against stealing is not just based on religious convictions or values. It's based on the fact that none of us like other people stealing from us. So we want laws to protect us from that. Now, I know there are people who will say, oh, but our laws are based on the Ten Commandments. But 
Historically, most of them aren't. Irish law, just like the law in the US and many other countries, was based on British law. And British law was based on Roman law. And Rome had laws against stealing long before Jesus was born. And the Romans didn't base that law on the Jewish Ten Commandments, even though it agrees with one of the commandments. That's why we've never had laws making it a criminal offence to be jealous of your neighbour's donkey or his sports car. Yes, the Ten Commandments tell us not to covet these things, and the New Testament tells us not to be jealous. We, we all recognise that it's not the job of the state to put people in prison because of their jealous of the next-door neighbour. That's a religious value that defines covetousness as a sin that should be taught in synagogues and in churches, but none of us expect the state to enforce it by law. Nor, by the way, do people who are jealous of their neighbours accuse us of engaging in hate speech because we teach that covetousness is a sin. So what I'm saying is this, that we don't like it when other people's religious values are forced upon us. We don't like it when Islamic religious values are forced on Christians in the Middle East. Quite rightly, we see that as persecution and discrimination. And most of us are sensible enough to see that we can't go around demanding that the law should impose our Christian values on everyone else. Now, if we can all, Christians and everyone else, agree on this, then why do we all seem to have trouble with it when it comes to sexuality and gender? Now, of course, if people are being harmed, particularly children, then that's different. That's where the law needs to protect people. Or where parents aren't being allowed to raise their children according to their religious values. That's also different. The rights of parents, like the rights of children, and our rights to believe and express our religious convictions should be protected by the law. And we will talk more about some of these scenarios as we continue with this series of messages. But as a rough rule of thumb, if nobody is harming anyone else or infringing on anyone else's freedoms and rights then we as Christians should not be in the business of trying to force our religious values on anyone else. And equally, nobody else should be getting offended at us or accusing us of hate speech. We should have the freedom to hold to our religious values of right and wrong, of what is sinful or not, and to express our views. And if we can convince others to share our views and values, then all the better. And if we can lead people to commit their lives to Christ and to submit themselves to God's standards, then that's wonderful. And if they don't want to hear what we're saying or don't agree with our values, then they're free to not join us. Now, this works quite well with most issues. It doesn't matter if it's Jews and their views on eating bacon, Mormons being against drinking coffee, or evangelical Christians believing that it's sinful to worship idols or to engage in sex before marriage. We share what we believe, we don't force everyone else to agree with us, and no one accuses us of being hateful or tries to silence us, because in our society, we all have different ideas of what constitutes sin. But somehow this isn't working when it comes to sexual orientation and gender. Everyone's getting angry. People are accusing one another of hatred and coercion, and many of us on both sides of the debate feel that people are being harmed, and that our freedoms are being denied. One of the purposes of this series, the XXXY Files, is to help us understand why this has got to where it is now. And that means being truthful about wrongs that are being committed against us. 
but it also means being truthful with, our, with ourselves when we haven't handled things well. I don't think for a moment that the vast majority of evangelical Christians are going to change our beliefs that homosexual acts and gender transition are contrary to the will of God, are sinful, in other words. Our faithfulness to the authority of the Bible means we hold to these beliefs. We also need to recognise that other people, and quite possibly the majority of other people, will disagree with us. We should be able to practise our faith and express it without coming across as being hateful or being accused wrongly of being hateful, and we should have the freedom to raise our families according to our values without the state or anyone else coercing us or our children to participate in practices that we believe to be sinful. Is this possible? given how heated things have become in the media, in culture, and sometimes in churches. I don't know, but I think Jesus wants us to try. And so we need to concentrate on walking in truth and love. It would, I believe, be a disaster if we start compromising on biblical truth. But it's also a disaster if we fail to be ambassadors of Christ and to convey the love of Jesus to everyone we come into contact with. Feel free to get in touch with me at nick at evangelical.ie. As I said last week, I want to avoid misunderstandings, and if there are aspects we're missing out and need to cover, then I'd love to know about that. When I teach this kind of material in a seminar or a conference, then we usually have question and answer sessions. So please do feel free to get in touch if you need something clarified or have a concern, a criticism, or a word of encouragement. And do join us next week from message number four in the XXXY files.